Friends, let's pray before we come to think about uh, the Bible together now. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for all of the good things you give us. And especially, Father, this morning, we thank you for your living, active word. And we pray as we consider it together that you might speak it into our hearts in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, 2020, the year that God forgot. That was the headline I read this last week, the year that God forgot. On the back of the drought, the bushfires, the floods, now coronavirus. Where is God in all of this, the article asks. And it's a reasonable question, isn't it? Where is the all-powerful, all-loving God of the universe in the face of a disease which preys on the most vulnerable? Where is God now? There's so much anxiety, worry, tension all around the world at the moment, and we can't escape it. Where is God? Do you know, throughout the world, uh, there are always plagues. Uh, there are always things like Ebola. Uh, even the Black Plague is still around in parts of the world, but they're normally a long way away. But COVID-19 coronavirus is here. It's come close. And there's something about it when it comes close, a visceral reality that the thing that we always know makes such a big impact on us. And that's what it's like now for us. But it's always like that with, with death and the fear of death. We, we know it's there, it's always there, but from time to time, as it draws close and real and raw, it is overwhelming. And in the middle of this, the question we naturally ask is, where is God? Where is God in all of this? Where is this all-powerful God when the world is scared and dying? I mean, if he was here, surely this wouldn't go on, would it? If only he was here, things would be different. If only he were here. That's just what Martha and Mary said when their brother Lazarus died and Jesus came to them. When tragedy struck that little backwater uh, village of Bethany, three kilometres outside of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. That's what they said, Jesus, if only you were here. If you've got a Bible with you, can I encourage you to open up now to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, you'll find everything that I'm saying there and be able to check it up, make sure I get it right. Uh, if you've not got a Bible with you, stick with me for now, but look up John chapter 11 later. And as we come to chapter 11, we find out now that Lazarus is dead. And in the middle of the grief and pain, his sisters, Martha and Mary, ask. They ask in verses 21 and 32, Lord, if you had been here, my, my brother wouldn't have died. And the crowds down in verse 37 say again, this bloke, the one who opened the eyes of the blind, couldn't he have kept this man from dying? Where was Jesus? Where was Jesus? Well, the thing is, he's four days too late. He arrives four days too late and Lazarus' body is already rotting and smelling and Jesus was four days too late to do anything. 
And you could imagine being there at the time saying, Jesus, if only you were here, you could have kept Lazarus alive. You could have spared us this grief and pain. So why wasn't Jesus there? Why was he four days too late? Well, as we dig into the background of this story, we realise that Jesus, if you go back to uh, the end of chapter 10, Jesus is actually on the other side of the Jordan River. He's about 150 kilometres or, or four days walk away from Bethany when he gets the news. A messenger arrives, says Lazarus is sick. But by the time Jesus turns around and starts walking back, Lazarus is already dead. What seems to make it work, it, it, there's a two-day gap between when Jesus finds out and when he turns around. Now, to be clear, even if Jesus left straight away, Lazarus would still have been dead by two days uh, when he arrived. So it wouldn't have made any difference on that score. But why? Why would Jesus delay? Why didn't he go straight away? We could guess. I mean, if you did look back up to chapter 10, you could guess that, that because the last time Jesus was in Jerusalem, a crowd was trying to stone him, kill him, that maybe he wouldn't have been too keen to make the return trip. And definitely that's what his followers, his disciples are thinking. If you have a look at verse 8 or verse 16, uh, they didn't want to go back anywhere near Jerusalem. Jesus wouldn't have just been risking his own life, but theirs as well. But that's not the reason that Jesus gives for delay. What he says is, this is so that you will know more clearly. Have a look in verse 4. Uh, this delay is going to make the glory or the revelation of God's glory in Jesus even clearer. And there'll be no more mistaking of what, might, uh, what will happen there. Uh, in verse 15, those who are following Jesus would see and would believe in him. Now, just a little spoiler alert. Um, this day is going to turn out all right for Lazarus. Okay, things are going to look pretty good for him by the end. And it's going to turn out pretty well for Mary and Martha and for the others who are there as well. But not just and not even mostly for the reasons that they're thinking. Jesus explains that everything that is happening is happening so that in verse 15, uh, for the benefit of the disciples, that they might believe. Or verse 42 it's for the benefit of the people standing around that they might believe. And John, who writes this down, tells us right at the end of his book, uh, chapter 20, verse 31, that he picked this as one of the stories that he told, one of the signs that he shared, so that anyone who read it might also believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, they might have life in his name. Do you see, it's all about life. This bit of history is written down not just to tell you about Lazarus and his life, but that you may have life. Why the two-day uh, delay? It is to make it clearer. By the time Jesus got to the tomb, there can be no doubt. Uh, Jews of the day, uh, there was a common belief that a person's spirit would hover around the body for up to three days after they died. Uh, but, and I've seen a few dead bodies, I can tell you, by the third day, things start to happen. 
to the body. Physical things, smelly things, obvious things that mean that there can be no doubt that Lazarus has somehow managed to control his breathing and slow his heart rate or something. He was genuinely dead. So it's absolutely clear that if anything happens from this point, this must be of God. And when Martha hears that Jesus is on the way, she runs out to meet him. Well, she actually knows all of this already. And she knows the truth of Jesus already. And her understanding of life and death is already squared away. Listen to the conversation that Martha and Jesus have. It's John 11 from verse 27. Um, uh, let's pick it up from verse 21, sorry. 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah the Son of God who is coming into the world. Do you see, Martha already got it. She, she understood and her belief was in place, her belief about Jesus, her belief about the resurrection, even her own life after death. All before Jesus did anything with Lazarus. She seems to, to almost immediately get what Jesus was saying. And I don't know about you, but it, it doesn't seem that obvious to me. Did you get it on the way through? The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. So the believer lives, we get that. But does the believer die or never die? Now, this is really important for us to get straight. If you want to understand what God does and does not promise in the face of coronavirus or any other threat. And to be honest, there have been some pretty stupid claims made by people who call themselves Christian just lately about what God does and doesn't promise for them in the face of this. And so Jesus here drops one of his famous I am statements. I am, he says, the resurrection and the life. That's one big statement, but it's actually about two different things. The resurrection and the life, they naturally go together, but they're not the same thing. That Jesus is the resurrection means that whoever believes in him will live even though they die. That is, they will have a life that begins again after resurrection you will have a future resurrection and live because Jesus is the resurrection. That Jesus is the life means that whoever lives as a believer in him will never die. That is the moment that you put your trust in the Lord Jesus, the old is gone, the new starts, you have a new life and that new life cannot be extinguished even by death. 
You have a life that will never end. So there's no great promise that if you trust in Jesus, you won't die physically. In fact, if you look at the history of it, Christians have died at roughly the same rate as everyone else. Uh, that is 100%. But Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Through trusting in him, we can know that we will be raised to life after death, to live beyond the grave. And through trusting in him, we get to begin a new life in him now. A life that is truly living and that even death cannot stop. Now, I know you might be thinking to yourself right now, well, yeah, that's all well and good. But how do you know that this is more than just wishful thinking? How do you know that this is true? Or you might be thinking to yourself, that's all pie in the sky when you die kind of stuff. What about some cake on your plate while you wait here and now? How, well, what's in it for us now? Doesn't Jesus care about my life now? That's why what happens next is so important. Jesus comes alongside not just Martha, but now Mary and the other mourners, and they go to the tomb, and we pick up the story in verse 33. When Jesus saw her, that's Mary, weeping, and the Jews who came along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. Did you hear there? Jesus was deeply moved and troubled and he wept. And it's easy to think that in a crowd of other people who are also deeply moved and troubled and weeping, that what was going on for Jesus was the same as what was going on for all the other mourners. But Jesus' grief is different, and it's for different reasons. I mean, just think for a moment, Jesus already knew for at least six days that he was going to bring Lazarus back to life. He'd said that right from the start. This won't end in death. And then two days later, he says, I'm going there to wake him up. He knew six days ago that this was. And now that moment was just about to happen. He was just about to do the big reveal. Now, his grief is not the same as other people's grief at all. His deep movement of the spirit is actually more like anger, rage, frustration. It's grief not at a physical death, but grief at a broken world. Grief at a world of rejection and unbelief all around him. So his weeping here is different and his being moved is different. Uh, Jesus is, is going to weep again shortly as he comes to the top of the mountain overlooking Jerusalem and enters the city. And we, we hear there that he weeps 
at the sight again of a broken world. A world where sickness and death and mourning are commonplace. A world of hopelessness. A world too of greed and selfishness and hoarding toilet paper and faithlessness. A world where that's the air that we breathe and Jesus is deeply moved and he weeps. And in that moment, as he, the resurrection and the life, the one who's already been driven out of the city as they rejected and wanted to kill him, in that moment, this outrage at sin and death and rejection and unfaithfulness welled up from within him. And finally, they roll the stone away and Jesus shouts, Lazarus, come out. And do you see what happens then? The dead man walks out alive. And that's how we know that it's not wishful thinking. And that's how we know that Jesus cares for us so much more deeply than we could ever understand or imagine. So what do you do with that? Now remember that although this has turned out pretty well for Lazarus, Jesus said it all actually happened for those who would see that they might believe. And through believing have life in him. And John wrote all this down for the benefit of those like you and me who would read and hear that we too might believe and have life in Jesus' name. So let me ask you, do you believe in Jesus? Do you trust him? Now, I know a lot of people are watching in and I don't know... uh, I don't know you or the state of your heart or what you think at all. And I want to say, if you're not sure about this, can I urge you to find out? Maybe you're watching online and I've raised questions or kicked up the dust. And I want to say to you, find out. Uh, You can go back to the college website and type in a question there. Uh, I'd love to get in touch and answer the questions and help you because you can know. You can know and through knowing believe and through believing have life. But maybe you're thinking, yeah, well, that's all right for you, Simon, but you don't know my life. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how far from God I am. He's never going to come and give me life. I could never be good enough for God. If that's you, I want to ask you, Do you think it'll be harder for Jesus to bring life to you than it was for him to bring it to Lazarus that day? Do you think you're more dead than that? Do you think it's a bigger deal for Jesus than that? Jesus is the one who stands and wakes the dead and brings them to life. And I want to encourage you that if you hear Jesus speak, you too can stand and live. If you do believe, if you do trust Jesus, 
You need to remember two things from this passage. Firstly, Jesus is the resurrection. Whatever else changes or happens in the weeks ahead, you can be sure that you will be raised even after death. And the second thing you need to remember is that Jesus is the life. That is, if you trust the Lord Jesus, you have already begun your eternal life. And not even the grave, not even death, no virus can snuff that out. You are secure in the life you have in the Lord Jesus. Rest confident in him. Friends, I know we're living in anxious times and I fully expect that things are going to get worse before they get better and that many of us are going to suffer enormous grief and that some of us are going to face the reality of our own mortality, our own death. But even then, we are not hopeless. And having hope makes all the difference. See, all of us are anxious. If you don't have a hope that lasts beyond the grave, that anxiety will well up in fear. And living in fear brings out the worst in everyone. And we can see it all around us, can't we? As those who live in fear draw into themselves and live for themselves, and if we live in fear, we'll join the maddening crowds and we'll be hoarding the groceries we don't need and refusing to change our habits or to be inconvenienced, just fighting to survive or being overwhelmed. All of us are anxious. All of us are anxious, but if you live with a hope that lasts beyond the grave, you will look beyond yourself and at this time, as all times, you will live not out of fear, but out of love. See, in the Bible, faith, hope and love go together. And if you have faith in the Lord Jesus, you have a hope of life that lasts beyond the grave. And so you will live in love here and now, living, wanting the best for others. Friends, this week, if you have a hope that lasts beyond the grave, you will be amongst the ones who check in on their neighbours, who make a list of the elderly or vulnerable people in your life and make sure you contact them and stay in touch with them in the weeks and months ahead. You'll be amongst the people who offer to buy groceries for your friends who are in lockdown, to deliver food to those who are in isolation, to look for opportunities to keep, to keep the spirits of other people up by just being a listening ear. We'll look for ways of making sure that we don't leave the lonely behind. We'll be amongst those who point beyond the crisis and help others to continue to find truth and beauty in the world around them. Who continue to point others to the hope of heaven in Jesus. Do you see, friends, that's what it's like to live as people who have faith in the Lord Jesus, who have hope of a life beyond the grave and who therefore love one another. Jesus called out in a loud voice that day, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man walked out alive. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die.
Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he is the resurrection and the life. And we thank you that simply by trusting him, we have a hope that lasts beyond the grave. We have a life that's begun now and is not extinguished even by death. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would continually stir this hope in us, remind us of the Lord Jesus by your spirit, by the fellowship you give us with one another. May we spur one another on to memory of him. And living out of that memory, may we be people of love. Father, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.